praise the name of the Lord. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians chapter 3. The book of Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. book of Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 12. When you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, and another translation says, with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, say whatever you do. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love, and your kindness. We humble ourselves before you today, God, and we just want you to be glorified in these next few moments that we are together. I pray, Lord God, that I would decrease, that you would increase. I pray that we all would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Above all, that we would have hearts that are responsive to you, my God. Hearts that are humbled before your word and that are responsive to you in the lives that we live, God. Father, we ask you to be glorified in us, Lord God. And we thank you for your word that is truth, that sets us free, that opens our eyes, Lord God, and that guides our lives. We give you praise for all this. In Jesus' good name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so today is a special day. I mean, every day is a special day. Amen. Amen. But today is a special, special type of Sunday. It is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And so I am deviating from the series that we were going to preach because when it comes to certain holidays, you know, certain times of the year, I like to, you know, focus on them in the Sunday sermon. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And so today I'm going to preach a message entitled, Not a Day, But a Lifestyle. Not a day, but a lifestyle. And so I believe Thanksgiving is an amazing day. And one of the things that I realized, and I'm going to read, I have like, I just want you to know this. I have like five pages of notes today, glory to God. Usually I have two. So you know what that's telling you? You're going to be here for a long time. No, I'm just kidding. What it's, what it's telling you is that I don't have that. I don't, I don't have this amazing memory, so I can't, I can't memorize like this whole thing that I'm going to read to you on Thanksgiving. But really, um, what, 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 what I realize is that when you look at Thanksgiving in its, in its origin, it is, it, it is American in its origin, but it is, it is biblical in its inspiration. And so what happens is when you look at the history of our nation and you look at the history of Thanksgiving in particular, you will find that it is something that originated in the scriptures. It is something that came from people who understood their Bible and understood the Psalms that said, give thanks unto the Lord, that we're supposed to bless his holy name. Those scriptures that communicate to us like the ones that we read this morning that speak about Thanksgiving. And so what I want to do is I want to touch on something really quickly before I read this paragraph because I think it's important, but it is not what I 
want to focus on, but in order for me to read in context, I had to make sure that I read this part. And it is the first few verses, the first three verses that I read there. And the first one is, therefore, as the elect of God. Say the elect of God. Those are the ones that God chose before the foundation of the world. Some way, shape, or form, I am not going to dig into that. It'll take a long time to get into that. But here's what I want you to know. Before you and I were formed, God knew who was going to be saved. Did you hear me? And not only did he know, but he marked you. And that's what it means when it says the elect of God. So anybody, let me put it to you like this. Anybody who says yes to Jesus, that's the elect of God. Amen? Is that simple enough? I mean, seriously, anybody who says yes to Jesus, that's, am I elect? Yes, I'm elect. Did you say yes to Jesus? Yes, you're elect. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, you can be elect. All you got to do is say yes from your heart. Amen? It's not just saying yes, Jesus, and living a heathen life. That's not what it is. But he's saying here, the reason why he's using this terminology is because the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the church and let them know. He speaks to them, and he says, you are the elect of God. He's letting you know that you are the apple of God's eye, that if you are God's child and you have said yes to him, that you are elect, that he was thinking about you before you were even born, before you thought about him, his mind and his heart was on you. And so when he communicates to the church and he's telling them this, he's, he's, he's encouraging them, letting them know you are the elect of God. He's also letting them know you're the elect of God, so you got some serious responsibilities. Hello, somebody. You see, we all want to be the apple of God's eye, but do we want to be the vessel that God uses? We want to be the one that God is focused on, that God loves, that God cares about. But do we want to be the one that is responsible for representing him? And so when he says that we are his elect, it is not just I love you so much, but it is also that I have great responsibility for you. I have a great purpose for you. And so he goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, and this is what you're called to, to be holy, right? Holy and beloved. And so we're called into holiness. We're called into this loving relationship. He tells us something. He says, put on, say put on. He says to put on, and when he, when he says that word put on, it's like putting on clothing, but in a deeper sense. Because it's not just putting something on like, you know, you put on a jacket when it's cold, hello? But it's putting on something, it, 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 it would be akin to you literally putting on skin is what he's saying, okay? He's telling you to put something on, and, and, he's, and he's saying this because we have to continue to do this. So he says, put on tender mercies. Say tender mercies. Say kindness. Say humility. Say meekness. Say long-suffering. Say bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. And let me read this. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And so everything that you repeated after me, including what I just read right now, all of these things, say all of these things, are supposed to be our character. Say it with me. Are supposed to be our character. All of these things, not some of these things. So he's saying, put this on because this is what. See, when you put on a certain outfit, right, everybody sees that. Everywhere you go, they see that outfit. When you put on these characteristics, it's not something they just put on in the morning and then decide to take it off later. No, he's saying every day, every moment, you put these things on and then you live out this gospel. And that's what a Christian looks like. Verse 14, say this with me. But above all things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. See, what he's saying is tender mercies, humility, compassion, all of these different things, above all of them, which we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, above all of them, put on love. Above all, because out of love is going to flow humility. 
Out of love is going to flow compassion. Out of love is going to flow is going to flow these tender mercies and this kindness. Out of love is going to flow forgiveness. But see, sometimes we try to put these other things on, but we don't allow love to be the motivating factor. And so what Paul is saying is you have to be this. This is what we're called to do. And then after that, he gets into these things and these verses that we're going to focus on 15, 16, and 17. And he talks about Thanksgiving. But before we do that, I want to read to you a little bit because I said that the Thanksgiving holiday is one of the few holidays that is unarguably Christian in inspiration and American in origin. The reason why I say that is because when you look at holidays all over, you know, you look at Christmas, you look at Halloween, you look at all these different holidays, and you look at, okay, well, what's their origin and all this different type of stuff? And what happens is we get a bunch of mixed messages as to, you know, what's the real reason for this? And so here's the point. The point that I want to make today, I don't want to talk about those holidays. I want to talk about this holiday that we're all going to celebrate on Thursday. And on Thursday, when we look at this holiday, this is one that has its origins in the Bible, and it has one, and God didn't say, the reason why I said that this is supposed to be a lifestyle, not a day, is because God didn't say, have one day that you give me thanks. It isn't what he said. So we're supposed to give him thanks all the time, at all times. We're supposed to be living out of thankful hearts. But here's what it is, and this, this is the part that's going to be lengthy, so bear with me because I'm not a history guy. I didn't remember all of this stuff. But I want you to see some things that really, when I was reading them, I hope that they'll impact your heart as I read them to you the same way that they did for me when I was looking at the history of our nation when it comes to Thanksgiving. America's first national Thanksgiving occurred in 1789 with the commencement of, a, of the federal government. So notice... Here, who was the one who started this? This wasn't just somebody who came and decided, but this is our government that decided this. According to the congressional record for September 25th, that would obviously be in 1789 of that year, the first act after the framers completed the framing of the Bill of Rights was that. And so notice this. They framed the Bill of Rights. The next thing they want to do is they want to give thanks to God because our founding fathers understood something, that every right that we have, that everything that we get, that every blessing that we receive, the fact that they were able to actually put that thing together, all of that was a reason for you to do what? To give glory and honor to God. And so they said this resolved that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon the president of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody was trying to submit a bill to the president today? Can you please have us pray? Hello, glory to God. I'm just saying they submit all kind of other bills. Submit a bill like that. That'll help us. Anyway, let's move on. So Mr. Roger Sherman justified the practice of thanksgiving on any single event, not only as a laudable one in itself, but also as as a warranted as warranted by a number of precedents in the holy writ meaning the holy bible this example he thought worthy of a christian imitation on the present occasion and so they submitted the bill that congressional resolution was delivered to president george washington who heartily concurred with the request and issued the first federal thanksgiving proclamation declaring listen to this president whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of almighty god to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of, of November, 1789, that we all may unite to render unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection. Amen. Glory to God. That's our first president. That same year, the Protestant Episcopal Church, of which President Washington was a member, 
announced that the first Thursday in November would, be, would become its regular day of giving thanks unless another day be appointed by the civil authorities. Following President Washington's initial proclamation, national Thanksgiving proclamations occurred only sporadically, another by President Washington in, 1970, in 1795, one by John Adams in, 19, in 1798, and again in 1799, on, and one by James Madison in 1814, and again in 1815, etc. So the point is that, that the president, um, George Washington, he wasn't the one who, um, who, who made these days. But what would happen was that the various states' government, he, he, he wasn't the one that made this day an official day is what I meant to say. And so what would happen is the various state governments had issued at least 1,400 official prayer proclamations, almost half for time, for, for time of, of thanksgiving and prayer, and the other half for, for times of fasting and prayer. And so we had a nation that was really serious about seeking God's face. Amen? So much of the credit for the adoption of Thanksgiving as an annual national holiday may be attributed to Miss Sarah Joseph Hale. The editor of, 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 Goody's, of Goody's Ladies Book, a popular ladies book containing poetry, artwork, and articles by America's leading authors. For two decades, she promoted the idea of a national Thanksgiving Day, 20, contact, uh, 20 contacting presidents after president, contacting president after president until Abraham Lincoln responded in 1863 by setting aside the last Thursday of that November. Is that not awesome, the persistence that she had? That wasn't just like two weeks or two years. That was 20 years that this woman was seeking. I mean, thank God. Can we give God a hand of praise for a woman that was persistent? Glory to God. She helped mark our history. <clears throat> The Thanksgiving proclamation issued by Lincoln was remarkable not only for its strong religious content but also for its timing. For it was delivered in the midst of the darkest days of the Civil War with the Union having lost battle after battle throughout the first three years of that conflict. Yet despite those dark circumstances, Lincoln nevertheless called Americans to pray with an air of positive optimism and genuine thankfulness, noting that, and this is his words, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessing of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, we are so constantly enjoyed, we, we, we are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. No human counsel hath device, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy." That remarkable Thanksgiving proclamation came at a pivotal point in Lincoln's spiritual life. Three months earlier, the Battle of Gettysburg had occurred, resulting in the loss of some 60,000 American lives. It had been while Lincoln was walking among the thousands of graves there at Gettysburg that he first committed his life to Christ, as he later explained to a clergyman. This is his words. He said, When I left Springfield, Illinois, to assume the presidency, <clears throat> I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. 
The dramatic spiritual impact resulting from that experience was not only visible in Lincoln's Thanksgiving Day proclamation and also in the 1864 call for a day of prayer and fasting, but especially in his 1865 second inaugural address. Over the 75 years following Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, presidents faithfully followed Lincoln's precedent, annually declaring a national Thanksgiving Day, but the day of celebrations varied widely from the proclamation to proclamation. In 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt began celebrating Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of each November, and in 1941, Congress permanently established that day as the national Thanksgiving holiday. So, as you celebrate Thanksgiving this year, remember to retain the original gratefulness to God that has always been the spirit of this, the oldest of American holidays. And I want to read four, three, three, more, three more excerpts from different people in history and, and, and what they did in their, in their um, dealing with the day of Thanksgiving. Congress recommended a day of Thanksgiving and prayer so that the good people may express the grateful feelings of their heart and join their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ, merciful to forgive our sins and to enlarge his kingdom, which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That was the 24th Continental Congress in 1777, written by the signers of the Declaration, Samuel Adams and Richard Henry Lee. The next one is, I appoint a day of public thanksgiving to Almighty God to ask him that he would pour out his Holy Spirit on all ministers of the gospel, that he would spread the light of the Christian knowledge through the remotest corners of the earth, and that he would establish these United States upon the basis of religion and virtue. That's Governor Thomas Jefferson in 1779. And lastly, I appoint a day of public thanksgiving and praise to render to God the tribute of praise for his unmerited goodness toward us by giving to us the holy scriptures which are able to enlighten and make us wise to eternal salvation and to present our supplications that he would forgive our manifold sins and cause the benign religion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be known, understood, and practiced among all the inhabitants of the, of the earth. And that was Governor John Hancock. So when I look at this, I see that our, 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 our nation has some rich history on this day of thanksgiving. And it wasn't just a day to say thank you to anyone, but it was a day to say thank you to the almighty God of heaven. It was a time to say thank you to the God of our Bible, the one that we worship. Not just the general God, you know, like the God on the dollar bill and God we trust, or the God that some people talk about when they say they believe in God, but there was real roots, there was a real heart for God. And the sad reality is that many Thanksgiving, that that for many people, Thanksgiving has been reduced to a time that we argue about with whom are we going to spend the day. You know, some married couples, hello somebody. Or are we going to spend it with your family? Are we going to spend it with my family? And then our family gets upset so we don't spend it over there. And then we got to have different. And it's crazy, right? We're supposed to be having a day of Thanksgiving and there can't be peace, right? I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just, I, that, that, that's just how it is. We, not only that, but we, re, we are reduced to Thanksgiving to just a bunch of food. This is about engorging ourselves, which I will do. Hello. But what I'm saying is, it's not all about that, right? It's not all about, it's not all about the food. They were thanking God. When you look at Thanksgiving and its origins, it comes from the pilgrims who went through all of that time in the sea. Many people died. And when they came to the time that they were able to celebrate, they were like, thank you, God, that you saved us. Thank you, God, that you kept us. Even worse, I think this is the worst one of all of, all of them, is that for, to some degree, for many people, it is totally eclipsed by Black Friday. 
I'm going to look this way because I don't know who goes to Black Friday shopping, glory to God. I'm just saying. I've been once in my life, right? But let, but, but, but let, me, let, let me tell you something. There are people that are more concerned with the sales that they're going to get for stuff that they don't even need. Then they are concerned with giving thanks to God for everything he's already provided them with. Now, I'm not saying, listen, if you need something and Black Friday's got it, go on ahead and do your thing. I'm not t- but, for, but for the rest of us that don't need stuff, I'm just saying you got to leave family because you got to go and hang out in front of a store for three hours before it opens. Hello. I'm just saying. Wait in a line that is ridiculously crazy. Hello. Anyway, glory to God. But what we've done is that we have, we have come to that place. Thank you. We have come to that place where, and, and, and notice, did, did, did you ever think about this? Notice where they put Black Friday. Right after the day that we should be expressing such things. And you know the kind of junk that happened. You know, people get run over. You know, people have been killed on Black Friday. You understand how crazy that is? A time that we're supposed to be expressing thanks. And, and you know, I'm not going to blame, you know, man, but I do know the devil. Hello. And I do know that he will do anything to get our minds off what we should really be thinking about. Because notice, Thanksgiving wasn't just the day that we were supposed to say thank you to God, but it was a day that we were supposed to seek him and continually cry out to him for his mercy and blessing. And the reason why they did this as a nation, I'm assuming, is because they understood they couldn't have people pray every single day. But what they could do is they could set apart a day and they could thank God the same way that God had the children of Israel years ago have that Passover time and the Day of Atonement when they humbled themselves himself before their God, and they recognize their need for him. And so for us, I think that we should have the same kind of mindset when it comes to Thanksgiving. We should have the same kind of heart, and we should really think, what is this day really about? Is this a day that's just about food? Is this a day that's just about shopping the next day? Is this a day just about football or whatever? Or is this a day that is really about us coming before God and with our families and friends and whoever we eat with and really thanking God? I thank the Lord for my wife, honestly, because every year when I was reading this, I was just, and, and I'll, I'll confess, I was convicted because, listen, and I, and I say this sincerely, I really don't live for Thanksgiving Day as being the day that I give thanks. I give thanks to God every day for his grace and his mercy. That's serious. But here's the thing, this is a special day, and it's a special time when we get together as a family, and my wife always makes us sit down around the table, wherever we are, and she stops before we eat anything, and she's like, okay, before we do anything, I want you to go around the table and tell God, tell, tell us what you're thankful for. I'm like, okay, babe, I love you. And I say, you know, I always got stuff to be thankful for, and so I will communicate that stuff. But it's a beautiful thing that I have somebody there that doesn't let us forget what this day's about. It doesn't let us forget what that day is supposed to be about. But here's the thing. Maybe the deeper issue is not that we have forgotten the meaning and the origin of the Thanksgiving holiday, but that we have lost the heart of gratitude, that we have negated the command to be thankful, and we have ignored the one to whom we should be thankful. Maybe that's the deeper issue. Maybe it's not so much we forgot about history. Maybe it's we forgot about the one who wrote history. Maybe it's because we forgot about spending that time thanking him. And so we forget about those things. And so the first thing I will ask you to repeat after me is this, is say, Thanksgiving is a vital element for a consistent life of obedience. Thanksgiving is a vital element for a consistent life of obedience. And as we looked at those scriptures earlier, and he says to put on all of these things, right? What he does then is he comes down to these verses in verse 15. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. 
And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever, and with that word grace again in some translation, it says with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so what Paul does, he says, look, put on all of these things, put on love. And he says, in everything else, make sure that you are thankful, that you are singing with thanksgiving, and that everything you do is in thanks unto God. He's saying thanksgiving is vital. If we are going to be obedient and we're going to continue to be consistently obedient, then we need to be thankful. External giving of thanks has never, ever been God's goal for his people. Heartfelt gratitude is what God desires. And again, this is not for his self-glorification, but this is for our benefit. Because when we really give thanks to God, when we really honor him, and we really give him thanks from our heart, and we are really living a thankful life, and that's my my ending question, is are you thankful? Are you grateful? I mean, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves, because so much in our lives, we're not really grateful. We're not really grateful for what God has done. We're not really grateful for his love that he's shown us. We're not really grateful for the family we have. We're not really grateful for the job we have. We're not grateful because we don't make enough money. We're not grateful because people are not perfect the way we want them to be. We're not grateful because they still haven't learned after we've told them a thousand times. They still don't get it. We're not grateful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not grateful. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is that we don't live grateful lives, and so we don't live consistently obedient. Why? Because when I'm not grateful, stuff is hard for me to do. But when I'm living out of gratefulness, when I'm living out of gratefulness, it's not so hard for me to do the things that I'm called to do in the scriptures. The issue with us is that we put the cart before the horse. And what we want to do is we want to think about all the things that we have to do. And I'll talk about this a little bit more. Instead of thinking about what Jesus has already done. Paul gives three, three clear calls in a row as to our need to be thankful. The first thing is he says, it, it says here, and let the peace of God, say the peace of God, rule in your hearts to which you also, you also you were called in one body and be thankful. So the first thing that he says when he says to be thankful there is he talks, it, it's talking about thankfulness. He's saying be thankful. Have this thankfulness in your heart. That word, I just want to give you this one here. That word, thank, be, be thankful there, is the word eucharistos in the, in, in the Greek, which is where we get the word eucharist. And what it's talking about is talking about a devotion to God. It means mindful of favors, grateful, thankful, pleasing, agreeable, acceptable to others, winning, liberal, beneficent, mindful of favors, mindful of favors, mindful of everything that God has done for us, right? He's saying, be thankful. Now, notice what he says. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. Now, when you look at that word peace there, it is the word that is translated, and I don't know the Greek word for it, but what that word means is it literally means an umpire. And what he's saying is, let the peace of God, let the umpire of God rule your hearts. And so what happens is when the peace of, see, when, when the peace of God is ruling my heart, here's what happens. When things occur in my life, I have to make a judgment. Am I going to have compassion or not have compassion? Am I going to forgive or am I not going to forgive? And you know who deals with that? Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Because remember this, according to the book of Ephesians, I think chapter 2, verse 14, it says that Jesus is our peace. It's not saying peace. See, when we think about this, we think, oh, the peace of God, a feeling from God. No, it is the person of God. 
And he's saying, let Jesus, let the peace of God, Jesus, our peace, let him be the umpire of your heart. See, because what happens is when you're trying to put on all these things, all these things that we're called to do, it becomes difficult. But somebody has to make the decision, and it will either be me or it will be Jesus. It will either be you or it will be the peace of God that will say, you know what? No matter what they've done, i got to forgive. No matter what happens, I have to be compassionate. No matter what happens, I have to show these tender mercies. And in that, he says to be thankful. Because what happens is my thankfulness begins to fuel this peace that's inside of me. Because I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for what he's done. And so I begin to live that life. The second thing he says here in in verse 15, he says, and let the peace of God rule. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, first of all, we need the peace of God, which is Jesus. Amen? And then we need the word of God. Because a lot of us, we want to have Jesus in our life, but we, don't want, to, we want to ignore the word of God. Now, notice what he says here. He doesn't say, know a couple of memory verses. Hello? Do you see what he says? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what that word richly means? It means abundantly. It means like a lot. Hello? I'm just saying, he's saying, you need to be saturated in the word of God. He says, you need to let the word of God overtake your mind, overtake your heart, overtake your will, overtake your desires. Let the word of Christ dwell with you abundantly so that way when life squeezes you, what comes out is glorification of Jesus, not other things. That way, while Jesus is umpiring in your heart, you're not depending on feelings, but you are allowing his spirit to bring to memory the scriptures that declare what his will is. They have those bracelets, right? We have the faith on bracelet, but they have those other bracelets a long time ago, and people started rocking these things, and it was the, what would Jesus do? Listen, a lot of people are looking at the bracelet rather than looking at the Bible. Like the bracelet's going to give the answer. I don't know. Look at what the Bible says. That'll tell you what Jesus would do. Hello? And so what what needs to happen to us is that we need to look into the Word of God and let the Word of God dwell richly in us. But he goes on to say this. He says, let it dwell richly in us in all wisdom. Why do we need this in us? Because, he says, we are supposed to teach and admonish one another. Now pause for a moment. We think that it's a responsibility of of the preachers, of the bishop, of the pastors, of the leaders to teach and admonish one another. But who did Paul say in the beginning? He said, as the elect of God. So that means that you right next to you, you right next to you, you behind you, in front of you, everybody in this room is responsible for teaching and admonishing. But the key to us teaching and admonishing one another is what? Is that the word of Christ dwells richly in us. Because if not, we'll be giving each other cliches that half the time ain't even in your Bible. Like, you know, you know the one, you know, God helps those who help himself. Can someone please give me a scripture reference? I'm just saying, give me the scripture reference because it's not in the Bible. The Bible never says that. You can help yourself. Glory to God. I can't help. I can try to do it on my own and then I learn, guess what? I can't do it. I need grace. Hello. And what does that mean, that we don't work out our salvation? Does that mean that we don't serve God? Does that mean that we don't plow? No, that doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is that everything is by the power of God. And anything that I'm doing, guess who's doing it? It's him doing it through me. The word of Christ has to dwell. But then what we do is we come together and we want to encourage one another and we don't know what to say. 
And listen, you can know a lot of Bible and still come to points where you don't know what to say. I've been in plenty of those. I'm not saying that you're going to always know what to say. But when it comes to real biblical encouragement, guess what? The Word of God needs to dwell richly in our hearts. But he doesn't say, now listen to me, he doesn't say just to teach and admonish one another, but he says to teach and admonish one, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what he says, right? He says teaching and admonish. See, this, would, this is what you and I got to understand. Worship, worship is not just about us just singing songs to God, but it's about us teaching and admonishing one another. Are you hearing me? This is the reason why everyone, say everyone, you may, not be the most, let me, you may not be the most emotional and, and active person with your hands and clapping and jumping. And you don't have to do that. But everybody, say everybody, everybody. should be singing. Everybody should be singing. I don't care if you close your eyes. I don't care if you lift your hands. You should lift your hands. The Bible says lift holy hands. But anyway, what I'm telling you is, at minimum, everybody, oh, but I can't sing. I didn't ask you if you could sing. Neither did he. See, the beauty of this is that they didn't live in the American Idol era like we do. Hello. It wasn't about everybody who can sing. Listen, I want you to know, you sit next to Milton, you are going to be blown away. That brother can sing. You can't sing like him, but you stand next to him, you're going to think you can sing, glory to God. Because he's going to be singing and you're going to be hitting him notes. And you're like, man, I can sing. And then when you get by yourself, you'll be like, man, I can't sing. But here's the thing. The point of the matter is when we, we, we worry about, oh, well, you know, I'm going I'm to watch. God never calls us to spectate during worship. He never calls us to watch. He calls us to do what? To teach and admonish one another with psalms. The psalms meaning the book of psalms. They used to sing straight up from the psalms. Hymns. Hymns are songs that are written out of inspiration from the word of God. And then spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are those songs that come in the moment where worship is. And it may come from the word of God. But the spirit moves. And then all of a sudden you begin to sing this hook. And it's amazing because it's doing what? It is teaching and admonishing. But then he says to do so with grace in your heart. He says grace in your hearts. And that word grace there, you know, the reason why some translators translated grace and other translators translated thanksgiving is because the actual word there is the word gadis, which is the word grace. But when you look at this word grace, I want you to hear the definition. The first, well, the first part of the definition, it says grace, which is pretty simple. And then what we understand by grace is it's something that we have not earned, right? But this is what the second part of the definition is. It says that which affords joy. Pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. He's saying that is what should happen. See, what should happen is when the grace of God impacts my life, what should come out of me is thanksgiving. You want to know if you've been changed by the gospel? Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Because that is part of the divine influence upon the heart. Because when God changes your heart, when God enters your life. See, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I know about myself. And I am so grateful that God saved me. I am, because I know how bad I was. But it's not about how bad I was. I know where I was going. You understand, I know that because of my sin, I was separated from God just like everyone else. And I know that I was destined and on my way to hell. But I realized that Jesus died in my place for me. So that way I would be delivered not just from hell, not just from my sin, but delivered from an old identity and given a new life. And now I can rejoice with him for all of eternity. And anybody who has bowed the knee to Jesus is grateful because they realize that they are not going to experience God's worst 
for their life, but they will experience God's best. And listen, God's best is not always with a big house and nice car and all this and that. God's best is his best for you. It is what he has for us. And so what we need to embrace, we need to ask ourselves, is am I thankful? Because according to the scriptures, I should be doing what? Letting the peace of God rule my heart, and I should be thankful. I should be letting the word of God dwell richly in my heart, and I should be admonishing and teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in my heart. And so the peace of Christ is the mediator of our thankfulness. The word of Christ is the substance of our thanksgiving. In verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The glory of Christ is to be the motivation for our thanksgiving. So we have thankfulness in our hearts, we have thanksgiving in our mouths, and we have thanksgiving in our lives. See, what Paul is saying here, he's saying everything that we do, everything that we do, we do it out of thanksgiving. Everything that we do, we do it out of thanksgiving to God. So that's thanksgiving. Hello, glory to God. It's a new word. It's going to be a good word this year for the dictionary. Thanksgiving, amen. But listen, here's, here's the thing. I can say all day long that I'm thankful, but if my life doesn't show it, I'm not really thankful. You know, it's kind of like that thing, you know, well, don't tell me you love me, show me. It's the same thing when it comes to thanksgiving. Oh, I really, I'm, I'm really thankful, you know, that you did that. Really? But do you act thankful? Like, you know, I thank you so much for cooking that dinner, and then you don't even eat it all. I thank you so much for washing those clothes, but you don't even put them in your drawer nice. You just let them be all wrinkled all over the place. I'm just saying, let's show some thankfulness, glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Uh-huh. Trying to help someone get delivered for this season. Amen. And they're going to be, thank you so much for showing up for dinner. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful that you put those clothes in your drawer. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> obedience, and I said I would say this again. Obedience to the imperatives, the do's and the don'ts of the gospel is depleting when our hearts are not overjoyed with thanksgiving for the indicatives, what God has done for us of the gospel. What happens to us is that when we are overwhelmed by the imperatives, thus says, and do this, and do that, and don't do this, and don't do that, those things begin to deplete us unless our hearts are overwhelmed by the understanding of the gospel and what the imperatives are, what Jesus has done, who he declares that I am, where he declares that I'm going, how secure I am in him. See, when I come to that place, that's when we get the horse in front of the cart, is when I understand the indicatives of the gospel, when I understand that and I, and, I, and, I, and I dwell, see, that's what he's saying. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts. What is the word of Christ? It is the gospel. Let that dwell richly in your hearts. And you know what will happen? Your heart will become overwhelmed and everything that you do will be coming out of that thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Second thing, say this with me. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Must, be must be rooted in a source that doesn't change. Thanksgiving must be rooted in a source that doesn't change change. Now here's, and I want, I want to say this, I want to balance this out. There is nothing wrong with rejoicing in and being thankful for the temporal blessings of this life that God gives us. Amen? There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in a new vehicle or a promotion or, you know, an amazing spouse or amazing children. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing and, you know, an amazing church, an amazing preacher in front of you. Nothing wrong with rejoicing in that. Amen? 
had to throw that in there. I'm just thankful. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm messing with y'all, man. I'm, I'm joking. It's a joke. Hallelujah. Good preaching. Good preaching. Amen. All right, so anyway, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in an amazing church. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. But, but, but as Christians, as believers, our thankfulness to God must be rooted in something that never changes regardless of what changes in our life. So here's what I did. I was looking as I was studying for this message. I, 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 I just did the word thanks. I, I, pulled, I pulled up the word thanks. And at the end of it, there were six scriptures that just popped up as thanks, 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 thanks. And I said, you know what? That gives us six days of reasons to be thankful. Amen? And I'm going to give you one last one that's going to be a video. It's going to give you the seventh reason. But check this out. The first one, write this verse down. You can turn there with me if you want. We're going to run. It's going to be, you know, chronological here in, in the way our Bibles go. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to run through these scriptures, watch this video, and then we're going to go home. Amen? <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 17. When you got it, say amen. It says this, but thanks be to God. Say, thanks be to God. That you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So the first thing is this. He said, this is Paul saying, he's saying, but thanks be to God that you who were once slave to sin. So what do I have to be thankful for on Monday morning? This is what I got to be thankful for on Monday morning, that I am free from the power of sin because of Jesus. That's a reason to give thanks every day. Amen. Right? I, but I can just take that on Monday. That'll be my Monday praise. Amen? And, and then my Tuesday, Romans, just turn over one chapter. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. Apostle Paul speaking, all of this is him speaking. He's saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so it's funny, like, why is he thanking God that he's, that he's sinning? He's not. If you read it in context, what he's saying is he talks about the thing I will to do, I don't do, and the thing that I want to do, I do, or I don't want to do, that's the thing that I do, and it's real confusing. And so what happens is Paul is saying that there is a struggle that is going on, and the verse before says, who will save me? Who will save me? That's why he says, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Because what, what, what's that second thing? God's grace is sufficient even when we struggle against our sinful desires. Paul doesn't give us a ticket and say, hey, man, just hang out on those sinful things. No, he doesn't do that. He's saying we have been delivered because of Jesus. And so our hope is in Jesus. So there's your Tuesday praise. That even when you're, when you're struggling, you know, because Sunday you're real filled up. Monday, you know, you get kind of loose. On Tuesday, you get in the flesh, right? Hello. Right? That, that's, when you're, that's when you really start experiencing Romans chapter 7. You're like, oh, I have a thing I want to do. I want to pray, but I can't pray. I want to do right, but I can't. And so you start struggling on Tuesday, right? Well, there it is. There's your praise for Tuesday. Amen? You got your struggle on. Well, you got your deliverance right there too. Then turn over the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. First Corinthians 15 through 7. This is your Wednesday praise. And he says this, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, when he's talking about victory here, he's talking about victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. So you know what on Wednesday you remember? You remember that, man, I have this victory over death. I'm not going to see death the way that other people do. 
Why? Because of Jesus. And then Paul is saying, he's starting all these verses with, thanks be to God, but thanks be to God. Thursday, look at, look at 2 Corinthians, the next book over. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Second Corinthians 2.14, this is your Thursday praise, right? Right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So on Thursday, I get to praise him because I'm part of the revelation of God throughout the earth. Everywhere that I go, even when it doesn't look like I'm in victory, guess what he said? He's leading me in triumphal. He's leading me in triumph, right? He's leading me as that fragrant offering. As He's leading me as that fragrance to lead others to him. So Friday, we come to Friday. Don't just praise God because it's Friday. Hello? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. So that seems real specific because it's to Paul, and he's talking about the church of Corinth, and he's talking about Titus. But let me tell you what you can be thankful for. You can be thankful that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who truly care for you. You should be thankful. Not, not, listen, not every single person is, it, you know, cares for you the same way. But there are people that you can think about right now that you know that they're your brother, they're your sister in Christ, and they really care for you. You know what? You should be thankful. Because Paul was saying, be thankful that they care for you. Those are those people that come and they tell you stuff you don't want to hear. Hello? I know. Amen. Glory to God. But there are also those people that when you need someone to cry on their shoulder, they're there. There are also those people that when you're hurting, they're not there to slap you up and beat you down, but they're there to build you up. See, because we always think about those in the negative context, but what about the positive context? What about the way that they're there to encourage? What about their way that they're there to help you? You should be thankful for those people on your Friday. And then on Saturday, right, when you're getting up late, amen, hallelujah, hopefully, hopefully, glory to God. 2 Corinthians 9.15, if you have a son, you're probably not. But anyway, a newborn, amen, glory to his name. 2 Corinthians 9.15, 2 Corinthians 9.15, you're already there, next chapter over. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So on Saturday, just in case you forgot all of this other stuff, We have been given the most valued gift of all in Jesus, the salvation of our souls. So listen, you may not have everything that you want. You may not have, they're getting the the video ready right now. But those are six days worth of things to be be thankful for, right? And be ready to give God praise for. And then in case none of these move for you or helped you, this is day seven, amen? So day seven, this is going to help you out. You guys ready? Yes? Good. Lord, I'm struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for.
Laura, I'm struggling. Show me what I have to be thankful for. I know some of y'all be like, well, some of those things I don't have, but most of them you do. Some of y'all be like, I can't move like I used to. It doesn't matter. You can still move. I know it takes a little longer. Glory to God. We have so much that we can be thankful for. Amen? Let me, let, let, let me say this. Too many believers allow the joy of their salvation to be choked out by the sanctification of their salvation. See, God wants us to have this exceedingly abundant joy that is overflowing our lives. But what happens to us is that as we're going through the sanctification process, sanctification is painful. Because sanctification is where God is separating us from things, right? Have you ever, you know, maybe accidentally, maybe dislocated a bone or something like that? Or you felt something that was feeling dis, or you, you know, you pulled a piece of your skin? That's painful, right? And so what happens is as I'm in a living relationship, right, with Jesus, as I'm living with him and I'm bringing glory and honor to him, sometimes God is separating things from us and they're still living in us. The things that we still love, things that we still enjoy, things that we still, you know, want to partake of. And he's like, nope, that's not my will for you. That's not what I have for you. And so as we're being sanctified, in other words, as we're becoming to look more like Jesus, some of us become bitter about that process because it's painful. You know, uh, as, as we, this morning we were in prayer, and one of the things that was there in my heart was just that God is a consuming fire. Why, why, why does that even matter to us? Because he consumes our hearts. I believe it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter. It tells you not, not, not to think it weird that you come into all of these types of fiery trials. These things are sent to test your faith. And so what happens to us is we can become so focused on the trial, so focused on the issue that we forget about the Savior. The most important thing for us is to answer that question. Have I forgotten about the Savior? Am I ungrateful for who he is and what he's done? And like I said, the most important question for us to ask ourselves is, are we really thankful? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. <clears throat> you might be in this place and you just realize that you are not thankful, and I'm going to call you to repent before God, not before me, not before anybody else, but to repent before him. Ask him for his forgiveness for you being ungrateful to him. Ask him for his forgiveness for you not thanking him for everything, even the little things. Heavenly Father, I come to you before your glorious throne. And I pray with and for my brothers and my sisters that are in this place. And I pray with those who do not know you in this place, God. Father, may our hearts be overwhelmed by the, real, by the reality of the gospel. May our hearts be overwhelmed by the reality and the magnitude of your love, God, to the degree that we cannot help but demonstrate thankfulness, Lord God, that we cannot help but not just do things that seem thankful, but Lord God, that we would really be thankful from our hearts, God. 
Father, we read the history of our nation and we realize, dear God, what you have done, Lord God, how you moved the hearts of our founding fathers to establish a national time of prayer and thanksgiving unto you, God. Father, they recognize that all comes from you, that you are the sustainer and giver of all life and all that is good, my God. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would be the same, Lord God that we would be thankful for the things that you have given us, that we would be thankful for the things that you have taken from us, that we would be thankful, Lord God, for every no that you have said, Lord God, that we would be thankful for everything that you have denied us, my God. And even though we wanted it so bad, you said no because you have something better, Lord God. God, give us grateful hearts. And even in this time, Lord God, in this season of thanksgiving, Lord Jesus, may we be the salt and the light in the earth and may people know, may they know what this season is about. Forgive us for making it what it's not. We thank you, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' good name. And someone said, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Good afternoon, church. Hope that you guys enjoyed the service. Um, it's a portion of our service where we have the privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility to be faithful.